this is the captain. Now hear this. He said, we're surrounded by a wolf pack of German U-boats. He said, but we're going to change course every few minutes where they won't be able to get the sight on us. They think we can outrun them, and we did. This is The Grand Project. I'm Kitty Janbrin. Today, I'm interviewing Mr. William Ellen, whose grandchildren and great-grandchildren call him Pop. His daughter is my Aunt Elizabeth, so I've known Mr. Ellen for many, many years and saw him and his late wife, Mott, at quite a few family gatherings. We never really spoke much more than a brief hello or a quick catch-up, so it was a real pleasure for me to get to hear so many of his stories for the first time today. As a World War II veteran, Mr. Ellen has a first-hand account of service that not many people can still share with us these days. Moreover, he has a mind for specific dates like no one I've ever met. It's almost as if he's cataloged all the important moments of his life neatly inside of his mind. I hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. Welcome to the Grand Project, Mr. William Ellen of Bishopville, South Carolina. Originally, but I've been living in Columbia about five years now. You, do you mind telling me how old you are? Oh, uh, 95. If I make it to the 26th of November, I'll be 96. That's right. It's coming up, that birthday. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen a lot of years pass by. Uh, what is your earliest memory? I remember well when I was in the first grade, and I can remember a little bit before that. What was the first grade like? Well, I, it's funny. I was barefooted, and I was uh, about four rows from the front, and uh all of a sudden, I felt the water on my feet. Some kid behind me uh, had an accident. Oh, no. The teacher thought it was me. She made <laughs> me come up to the front of the classroom, and she held my head between her legs, and she took a paddle and beat me. Oh, I should have reported it, but I have forgotten it. I guess not. Did you ever say anything to that the boy behind you who had the accident? No. I wasn't sure who it was. <laughs> the floor sloped to the front, so it could have been somebody on the back row. So did you go to school barefoot, or had you taken off your shoes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was all back then. I assume you walked to school, so it was just normal to walk barefoot? I rode my bicycle. Oh, you rode your bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> and what was your family life like as a child? How were your parents? Well, I thought they were pretty strict at the time, but uh, looking back, uh, they were probably just normal. Yeah. Why did you think they were strict at the time? Uh, they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have any siblings? I had uh, two brothers, uh, one uh, five years older than me and one seven years older than me. And mother and daddy's first child, a uh, little girl, and she, she died at uh, 
19 months. Wow. So you were the baby. So I was the baby. Did you have a good relationship with your brothers growing up? Oh, yeah, I did. They didn't bully you too much as the the youngest? No, I was uh, about five years younger than my middle brother, and uh, there was too much difference in our ages, so we didn't have any fighting going on. Well, that's always good. (laughs) So I know that you are a veteran, and I hope you can tell me a little bit about serving in World War II. So, first of all, what part of the military were you in? I was in the Air Force. And did you volunteer? No, I was drafted. And what was that like? I was drafted at 18 years old. I went wow. in service on the uh, 7th of April, 19, <clears throat> 1943. What did it feel like to be drafted? Well... I didn't mind too much because uh, everybody was upset with the Japanese for bombing Pearl Harbor, so uh, most of us were just anxious to uh, see what we could do about it. Yeah. And do you remember your first days in service? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was sworn in on the 7th of April, and they gave us a seven-day leave. So I came home for seven days. It went back, and they would get us up about 4.30 in the morning and line us up out in front of the barracks, and you had to answer roll call, and they would uh, give you very first uh, details to perform. So the first day, I had to pick up cigarette butts. So the next day, uh, I had a friend that he was about... 45 years old. He'd been in before, and because of the age change, he got discharged. Then it changed the age again, so he had to come back in. So he he suggested that what we do is uh, get on the back row, and as soon as we answer our name, we slip around the corner and go to the PX and goof off the rest of the day. So we did. (laughs) But going back a little bit, uh, the first day, uh, the sergeant said, I want to raise your hand. Everybody's got a driver's license. So I figured that'd be a good deal, so I did. You know what I did? No idea. I pushed the wheelbarrow all day long. I never volunteered (laughs) for anything after that. Oh, my goodness. Um so where were you stationed during the war? Well, I went to Greensboro, North Carolina for eight weeks of basic training. And then I went to Signal Corps School in uh, Southern Pines, North Carolina, to learn to operate a teletype machine. Mm. And what is that? What's a teletype machine? Well, uh, you type like you would on a typewriter, and it sends a message. Oh, okay. Right. Makes sense. <laughs> and uh, I was in Sacramento, California, about uh, six months. And then uh, we were alerted to go overseas. And uh, they were given uh, a week furlough. And my name was going to come up for a week furlough. So I called home for my dad. 
send me some money. So he wired me three hundred dollars. And wow. about two days later they canceled all leaves and we were we were going overseas. So I went into Sacramento and tried to drown my sorrows for a while. <laughs> How was it to leave your home and your parents initially when you were first drafted? I was homesick. I know we had been off uh been to the beach uh, maybe for a week at the time, but other than that, never had, never had been awake for more. Wow. And I'm sure your parents were sad to see you go, and that must have been really hard on them as well. All, all three of us were overseas at the same time. Oh, wow. Different theaters. I was in Europe. Uh, uh, my oldest brother was in the Pacific. And my middle brother was in uh, in China. Wow. So did you keep in, try and keep in touch with your brothers while you were all away? The only time uh, when I was in California, uh, my oldest brother was stationed at Fort Ord, California. And he came up. To, we met in San Francisco. Spent a couple of days together. And my middle brother, he was a... Uh, Station in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and and uh, he flew up, and we had a couple of days together. Oh, that's wonderful. So then you're in California, and you're called to go to Europe. So where was the first place that you were sent? We got on troop train in Sacramento, and uh, <clears throat> got off in New York. Uh, we uh boarded the Queen Elizabeth. There were over 25,000 troops on board, believe it or not. And uh, after we out at sea about uh, two or three days, the captain said, this is the captain. Now hear this. He said, we're surrounded by a wolf pack of German U-boats. He said, but we're going to change course every few minutes where they won't be able to get the sight on us. They think we can outrun them, and we did. Wow. It took us about uh, about five days. I landed in uh, Greenock, Scotland. Went down to uh, northern England and... uh, there about uh, from December uh, 43 to uh, 21 days after D-Day. I went wow. to France, uh, Omaha Beach, 21 days after D-Day. We didn't know what to expect, but the, the front line had moved up several miles. Uh, uh, we were going up the cliff and uh, a one German fighter plane came down and striped us, but no, nobody didn't get hit. We slept on the ground the first night, and I, I made a remark. I said, I'm glad I'm not in the infantry. <laughs> they, they sleep on the ground a lot. Oh, man. How was your relationship with the rest of the guys who were with you in the Air Force? I was about the youngest man in my outfit. 
So did they treat you kind of like a younger brother, did you feel, or was it very, very much like friends? Friends, they didn't treat me any different because I was young. Mm-hmm. And I understand you turned 21 while you were overseas. Is that correct? No. No? No, I, uh, I turned 19 while I was overseas. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. I turned 19 when I was in California. I turned, I turned 20 when I was in Maastricht, Holland. Oh. And a good friend of mine uh, spoke German and... Uh, German language is very similar to uh, the the French or, or the Belgians in and uh, and and Holland. Uh, so he, we got a, a friendship with a, a couple, and uh, two couples, and both of the men's uh, uh, livelihood were they were bakers by trade. And they baked me a chocolate cake <laughs> for my 20th birthday. Wow, that's amazing. That's such a, a fun memory, I'm sure, to have some levity during that time. Now, Aunt Elizabeth did tell me that you all used to get candy, chewing gum, and cigarettes, and that you did something with yours. So did you, do you have a story about what happened to your candy cigarettes and chewing gum? They gave us uh, seven packs of cigarettes a week, seven candy bars, and seven packs of chewing gum. I didn't smoke, so I saved my cigarettes up till I got a carton, and I sold them $100 a carton. <laughs> That was a lot of money. I, I bet. It's a lot of money now. <laughs> I sent it home, and I bought me a new car when I got out with that money. Wow. I, I gave the chewing gum to the, to the kids, and I gave the candy to the girls. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of car did you buy when you got home? Uh, a Kaiser. They, they didn't make them several years. Cost uh, eighteen hundred dollars. Well, that's a lot of cigarettes to save up. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw combat and you saw a lot happen. Did you have a ritual for good luck or something that you would tell yourself in stressful situations during the war? Uh, I was lucky. I never was any hand-to-hand combat. Uh, our main danger was. Uh, these flying bombs, they, they drop all around us. They had two types of, of flying bombs. One was a, a wing uh, bomb that sounded like a motorboat. And when the motor cut off, they either dropped down or it would glide and then fall to the earth and explode. And it would knock a hole uh, big enough for uh, three or four cars to get in. Mm. And and the V2s travel faster than sight or sound. You hear an explosion, and uh, I, I got within about uh, three football fields of, of one. That must have been terrifying. What did you tell yourself to keep going in that situation? You know, I've never served, and I feel like you have to have 
a lot of bravery or you have to kind of build yourself up a little bit to get through things like that? Well, it it makes you kind of kind of nervous naturally, but <laughs> sure. Is there a particular story that really sticks out to you or that you think about often from World War II? I just naturally I was wanting the war to get over with, and and when it did end, uh, our outfit our outfit was uh, alerted, and we were on a ship in the Hall of France with sail for the Pacific. And the war ended, and so they changed our orders. And we, I stayed over there about uh, a week before I came back to the United States. Wow. What did you do in that week? Well, I ate and slept. And <laughs> <laughs> they had a, a PA system, and they played songs on it. Uh, just just talk talk with the guys that's all and um i'm sure you were looking forward to going home to your family what was it like when you finally came back to the states well the whole time i was over there i, I dreamed about coming back to new york seeing that statue of liberty again mm. but we didn't come back to new york we came back to Massachusetts. <laughs> And uh, went went by train to Camp Garden, Georgia, and uh, was down there about three or four days. And they told us that uh, if your name comes up for discharge and you're not here, that you get on on the bottom of the list. But some of those boys were married; they slipped out. I don't I don't blame them. Anyhow, uh, after about uh, about four days, uh, I got discharged. What time were you discharged? October, October the tenth, nineteen forty-five. Twelve minutes past two. Twelve minutes past two in the afternoon. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So that really you kept that memory. I looked at my clock, watch. I said, I'm not going to ever forget this time. You never have. Um, before we talk a little bit more about the rest of your adulthood and after the war, um, one thing that Anne Elizabeth did say is that you have a story um, about somebody coming into your tent during the war really late at night. We, we had just crossed the Rhine River, and there were still snipers in the area, so we were told. Anyhow, we were staying in the old German barracks, and they had uh, wooden blinds on the windows. And I heard somebody fumble at the window, and I set up in my caught and grabbed my rifle and I and, it, and it, the wood shutter opened up and it's one of our own men he, <laughs> he, he had uh, reported for duty and he was drunk so they sent him back to the barracks but he almost he almost got shot 
Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> that was close. And I met my parents in Columbia at the Jefferson Hotel. Mm. I couldn't believe how much they had aged. Mm. Having three of us overseas is enough to make you age, I suppose. Right. But I bet that was such a joyful reunion for them to see you. I met I met the, my future wife about uh, 12 days after I got discharged. Wow. Tell me about that. Tell me about meeting Miss Mott. She had... Uh, she had an aunt and uncle that lived in Charleston. And I never had been to Charleston. So we went down to Charleston on my 21st birthday. Anyhow, uh, my father ran a hardware store in Vegetable. And I was helping him. And a friend of mine had just gotten discharged. And he came in. We were talking. And I said, uh, you don't know a nice girl you can get me a date with, do you? They said, well, said, I know a school teacher said, I'll see if I can get you a date. So he did. And uh, the night arrived for the, for the date. And my automobile, my daddy's automobile was old, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't crank. So I called <laughs> up a friend. I said, Francis, <laughs> I can't. Get my dad's car cranked. I said, "Can you come for me?" He said, "Yeah," and he went. He went to the school teacher's house and said, I, "He said, I know this is awkward." He said, "But Bill can't come. He can't get his car cranked. One if you agree to to go with me, we we'll pick him up." <laughs> and he he was dating another school teacher, so. uh she said, well, she didn't think too much of the idea, but, but she, she would go, she said. So uh, they came to my parents' house, and uh, I went out, and she was sitting in the back seat. She said, well, it's not leap year, but I got me a man. <laughs> That's wonderful. And what did you do on that first date? We, uh... Went to drive in and got a Coca Cola, <laughs> cheese crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you remember that. The Coca Cola was six cents and the crackers was five cents. Wow, sounds like a cheap date. <laughs> yeah. And um, so then, how long did you date before you popped the question and asked her to marry you? Uh, we've been dating about three months and I asked her to marry me. She said, yes. So we went Where? to Florence to a probate judge's office to get a marriage license. I said, we want a marriage license. She said, yes, sir. I said, well, we want to keep it a secret. <laughs> I can't help you. I said, we have to publish it in the paper. <laughs> really? I said, forget about it. Went back, sat in the car, and I said, well, I'm going to Carolina. And I said, when I finish, if we feel the same way, we get married. So she said, all right. 
So, uh, well, the first semester, I stayed out in town with my middle brother. He and I had a room together. And uh, I didn't open a book. <laughs> I made two Fs, a C, a D, and I dropped the course. I had to get reinstated. So I found out that I wasn't smart enough to pass without studying. So I, I started studying. And uh, I moved on campus, and I was better satisfied. And what were you studying? Business, business administration, yeah. After about two years, I was playing tennis one day, and uh, the next day I was, I was sore. My legs were sore. The next day my legs started swelling. I got desperately ill, and my fever went up to 106. Wow. My, my legs were swollen twice their normal size. They were blue and had knots in them. They took me to Veterans Hospital in the ambulance, and I was over there eight weeks. Eight weeks? Eight weeks. They had a bunch of doctors on the case. They couldn't, they couldn't diagnose what was wrong with me. So they told my parents that if y'all want to call another doctor, it'd be fine to say they the VA will take care of the cost. So they had a friend that uh, was originally from uh, Columbia, and he recommended a, a Dr. Madden. And he put me on a medicine. And after, take, after I'd taken it for about two days, my favor dropped from 106 to 101. And I started getting better. But they never knew what was wrong with me. Never. That's that's wild. So I lost I lost a semester there because of sickness. So I was actually in school five and a half years. Mm. So I, I told Mott, I said, But I'm gonna graduate on the thirty first of January when you wanna get married. She said, February first. <laughs> <laughs> I said I got to have a little bit of time to get things straight. So we uh, we actually got married on the 22nd of February, 1951. And we were married for 65 years and four months. I remember Miss Mott. What was the thing you loved most about her? Well, several things. One thing, she was pretty. <laughs> and the next thing, uh, she was smart. She was intelligent. Mm. Had a good sense of humor. And uh, I decided that she was the one I wanted to be the mother of my children. And you did have some children, so I... Sh- don't know if you want to answer this since your daughter is sitting next to you, but what was the most, I guess, what was the best thing about having kids? And then what was the most difficult thing about having children? Well, I wanted two boys and I got what I wanted. And I wanted one girl and I got what I wanted. You got it. 
And we hadn't been so old, I like to have one more girl. So how old were you when you when you had all of your kids? Well, Mark and I were both 26 when we got married. Okay. Uh, and we were 31 when Bill was born. And now you have grandkids, so... I got great-grandchildren. Oh, yeah. Did you ever think you would live to see your great-grandchildren growing up? No. No. So after the war, you went to, you met Miss Mott, and then you went to the University of South Carolina, graduated, got married. And so what did you do after graduation? I farmed for 16 years. And when I was uh, 41, position of county treasurer came open. The treasurer retired because of his age. I saw a fellow had announced he was going to run for treasurer. So I decided that it must be an easier way to make a living than farming. So I said, I'm going to run for treasurer. Mm-hmm. I heard the man that was also running said he could stay in his store and he'd beat Ellen a thousand votes. I said, well, he might he might do it, but I said, he won't do it without a fight on my part. So I knocked mm-hmm. on every house in the county. I beat him 750 votes. Wow. Did you enjoy that job once you got it? Well, it had its ups and downs. It was a four-year job, and after four years was up, uh, I didn't have any opposition the next four years. And then uh, that's when I ran into, into problems. They ran a man against me, and... Uh, they beat me. We had a new council, and the mayor and three other councilmen were friends of mine. So they asked me if I would be city administrator. I said, uh, I got a job with the tax commission, but uh, I said, I believe I turned that down, and I'd rather be at home. So I took the job, and I worked as city administrator for four years, and then uh, the man that beat me for treasure had a $25,000 shortage. He had to resign. Several friends came to me and said, uh, we can get the governor to appoint you to fill out the only side term. I said, no. I said, I, I wouldn't take it unless I could get elected by the people. So, uh, I decided I, I would I would run for treasure, so I did, and I got I got elected and I served twelve years. I had good luck with politics, bad luck. I had a a young person working for me. There was a uh, thirty five thousand dollars shortage. She was she was tried. But uh, a lot of voters voted against me for that reason. And uh, I was uh, defeated about, uh, by a vote about 
four to one. I got beat real bad. I was uh, I was sixty six years old. So did you retire after that? Yep, <laughs> you were done. <laughs> yeah. The people retired me. <laughs> uh, so after working all those years, I know that that must have been very disheartening to to lose that way and to kind of go into retirement that way. But, you know, after all those years of working, were you kind of welcoming retirement as a sort of relief? Well, it, it was a relief. I was not, <laughs> on, I, I was not only county treasurer, I was a tax collector. Mm. I made a lot of enemies because I didn't play politics. I bet. <laughs> I made everybody pay. But uh, when I when I took over, it was about two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars delinquent taxes, and I collected all of them. So I put the county in good financial shape. I had four years with Bushville and twenty years with the county. So I guess getting away from that a little bit, do you have? a piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice uh, for people who are going through a difficult situation or something that's kept you going? All I can say is uh, keep your head up. Don't get discouraged. And trust in the Lord and everything will be all right. And of all the memories that you have and you have remembered so much. I mean, I can't even remember important dates and you know all of the important dates in your life, it seems. What do you consider the happiest moment of your life? Well, when I got married was a a, a, a big time in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I have my children... All three of them. And getting discharged from the Army was a big, (laughs) big day. So did you ever travel back to Europe or to any of the places that you were stationed during the war, after the war? Yeah, about 1988, Martin and I went to California for a week. And uh, I went out to Airfield, uh, Sacramento, but uh, I didn't recognize it. Everything had changed, so. And in 2000, we went to uh, Martin. I went to Europe for uh, 18 days. We got on a train in uh, London, went under the English Channel, got off in Paris. We went to uh, Omaha Beach in France where I landed. Mm-hmm. And uh, up above the the beach is American Cemetery. Just as far as you can see graves. Well, so, some of them put uh, unknown 
Mm-hmm. And what does that make you feel? What did that make you feel to see that graveyard? Thankful that I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were very young when you served in the Air Force. Did you ever think that you'd live to see 95, almost 96? No. What has been the most surprising thing about aging for you? I just don't feel, I don't feel like I could be as old as I am. (laughs) I know, you look great. (laughs) I still think young. If you could go back to be any age, what age would you go back to? 26. 26. Why 26? That's when we got married. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. William, one more thing. You are a lifetime Gamecock fan, especially Gamecock football. So can you tell me a little bit about your love for that team? Well, I'm a half scholarship donor and... uh... I've been a member of the Gamecock Club for 54 years. And wow. Martin and I used to go to all the games, home and away. Wow. But uh, the last 10 years, I, I quit going to, to away games, just went to the home games. And what is it like to be in Williams-Brice Stadium on a Saturday cheering on that team great <laughs> it's great great to be a Gamecock yes it is <laughs> when I lose win or lose and we know that very well <laughs> I believe you were recognized as a longtime member of the Gamecock club is that right a few years ago oh uh, yeah uh, been about uh, about four years ago no, no. Three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. And was it just that you were a long-standing member of the Gamecock Club? Fifty or over, right? That's an exciting thing to be recognized by the team, by the school. It was. It was. I was. I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Any other stories or advice? I can't think of anything. Well, I won't keep you too long. Um, You've been so wonderful. It's been so good to talk to you again. I know it's been a while since I've seen you, but I'm glad that we could do this. I've enjoyed it. Yes, thank you so much for letting me talk to you, and it's been great to hear all of your stories. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Grand Project. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcast. I promise it only takes a moment. And give us a follow on Instagram at Grand Project Pod. Special thanks to Elizabeth Owen for setting up this interview with her father and to Paul Owen Jr. for helping make this remote technical setup work. As always, I have to shout out Jack Barber for all of his help on the technical side and all of the encouragement. We'll be back with more grand stories soon on The Grand Project.